Welcome to Distressed Situations, a Reed Smith podcast. On this podcast, we cover current issues in financial restructuring over a wide variety of industries. I'm Keith Arzeda, a partner in Reed Smith's Global Restructuring and Insolvency Group, and I'm one of the hosts of this podcast. Whether your company is a financial institution or in industry, we hope our commentary will be useful in managing the risks associated with distress. If you have any questions about our topics, feel free to contact our speakers. Welcome to the latest episode of Distressed Situations. This is Keith Arzada from Reed Smith. I'm a partner in the Financial Restructuring Group, and I am delighted to be joined today by John Little. John, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. John Little. I'm a principal at Deloitte Transactions and Business Analytics, LLP. And uh, you and I, Keith, known each other a long time. So it's good to be on with you today. Thank you for coming. It is embarrassing to state sometimes how long I've known you, John. And so we're going to not put a number on that, but I really appreciate you coming on. And we're going to talk about a subject today that I probably know less about than any other topic uh, I've hosted on this podcast. And so I'm very grateful for John here. He is going to talk about working capital improvement in the context of distressed businesses. Now, John, before we get down to this uh, topic of working capital improvement, I really think it's important to understand, what do you do for fun? Well, Keith, uh, I do quite a few things. Among them, I like to fish. As a matter of fact, I think you awarded me a trophy one time for my uh, fishing prowess. I think uh, it wasn't for the biggest, it was for the first, I think, caught of the day. So uh, I do like to fish a lot, like to catch uh, redfish and trout, or as my uh, friends from New Orleans say, trout. And so it's, that's a lot of fun to, to go to. What John is referring to there is a fishing tournament that I hosted on Lake Fork. And there were two prizes given that day, one for the largest bass and one for the very first bass caught. And John caught the first bass of the day. All right. So down to business. Uh, John, we're talking about working capital improvement today. Let's talk first about what you think of when you say working capital? Yeah. So, so working capital is accounts receivable, accounts payable, and inventory. And so those three things are, we, we work with, uh, with the accounts receivable. It's, it's, we call the process that, that goes along with accounts receivable order to cash. We call procure to pay the accounts payable, and we call forecast to fulfill inventory. So if you hear me refer to processes along the way, those are correlated with AR, AP, and inventory. So if we've got a a working definition for working capital of accounts receivable, accounts payable, and inventory, at the end of the day, what is the goal for an improvement in these categories? So the goal is really to generate cash, and that's what our clients want to do uh, and you generate cash by collecting your receivables sooner, collecting and, and billing your receivables sooner, by paying uh, your, your payables more slowly or extending the terms on those so that, that you have to pay them more slowly, and then by keeping your inventory as efficient and lean as possible. So all, all of those uh, working capital items, the more efficient you are in managing those, the, the better the cash generation uh, you'll get from that. And so it's it's literally a dollar for dollar change to the extent you collect the dollar of your receivables faster, then that means that you've got a dollar more in the bank that much sooner. 
And we'd like to make sure that those are not just one-time additions to cash, but we like to make that so that it's sustainable. So if your receivables, if you're a business that is a million dollars of revenue a year uh, and you've got a $10 of receivables, if you go to $2 million, then chances are you'd have you know, $20 of receivables. And so to the extent you can reduce those, then you'll, you'll increase the cash even more as you grow because you've got a, a sustainable lower amount of receivables on the books for, an, again, an extended period of time. Oftentimes, you'll think of those as the days your sales are outstanding. And so to the extent you can reduce the days your sales are outstanding, then your receivables will be correspondingly lower and you'll have that much more cash on your balance sheet. So, John, let me let me summarize to you what I think you just said. And let me see if I can do it in four words. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. Here it is. Four words. Collect faster, pay slower. Did I get it? You got it. The only thing you left out was inventory. Okay. I have less. All right. Let's Run do it. <laughs> I add two words to your description. So I know that what I've said there is a gross oversimplification. You're in a distressed business, or maybe you've just been introduced to a distressed business and you're talking to the board of directors. What are you telling them when it comes to working capital improvement? Where does your process start? What information do you need? Who do you need to talk to at the business? And what is the time frame for delivering value? Great questions. First of all, I will say that the sooner you, you work on working capital to improve working capital, the, the more options you have to improve that working capital. And so by, by sooner, what I mean is, you know, before you're really distressed, the, the, the easiest projects we run into are with companies that are healthy and just want to generate more cash because that gives you way more options to, to deal with your working capital improvement. By the time you're distressed, your options become limited. You still have options, but there are the traditional restructuring things. And so for accounts payable, you just don't pay the payables on time. On the receivable side, the traditional restructuring method is to go in and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call these people and, and tell them, pay me faster. In some cases, I may ask for discounts and, and various things like that, or may, I may give them discounts on pay, if they pay me early and so forth. And so those are restructuring methods. The other, the other restructuring piece in, in the inventory is to look at what's, uh, what you can sell right now. So s- stuff that hasn't moved for a while, you'll put that on you know, maybe even a fire sale just to, just to get rid of it or you may sell it to one of the other liquidators and so forth. Those are the things that you can do in a distress situation. And, but other, there are other things that, that are actually preferable to do earlier in the situation, and, and you also could do during uh, a restructuring situation. And that's really you know, the focus of what we, we do a lot of these days and really uh, what I'd like to, you know, if we can, talk about a little bit now. Yeah, I think I would... I would like to hear that. And let's let's break them up. Let's start with accounts receivable. So if you want to, and this is the collect faster part of my model. That's right. You talked about in distress situation, what can you do? You can call the account debtor and say, please pay. You can demand that there's payment and you can offer a cash discount to 
get that payment. Those are the distressed elements that you talked about. What can you do in a non-distressed situation to increase the speed and the quality of payments? So I mentioned earlier that we, we say that the process that's associated with accounts receivable is the order to cash process. And so you, you can start looking at the very, very beginning of the process. And so, and, and what we usually like to do is, is what I say is we, we, we like to look, compare the world that you think exists with the world as it actually exists. And so by that, I mean, we, we usually ask for data because that's the only way you can tell that. And so we'll ask for customer master data and customer master data for those folks who don't know includes what are the terms you've provided the customer, who's the billing contact, what is the address, what special terms, how have I decided to bill them and various things like that. And so when you've got that, you take a look at how, how have you actually build that person. And so what does it say on your, what does it say on your invoice? Are the, do the terms match and various things? And we usually like to look at that data over an 18 month period so we can get an idea as to what, you know, what, what exactly the world you think exists, how it differs from the world as it does exist. The other part, and so, so we'll look at that and we'll, we'll use, oftentimes we use, we call it liquidity IQ. We've even got a cool name for it. So what we do is then look and see what is anomalous. First of all, we'll say, how long did it take you to build? So we may have delivered the good. In this case, I'll just say we're delivering a widget. We may have delivered that on January 1st, and we'll notice that you know we didn't build this until January 20th. And so why is that? We could have built it on January 1st. And so I have a client right now, as a matter of fact, that it takes them 20 days to bill. And the reason for that, we first do the analytic to say, okay, it's taking you 20 days to bill. Why is that? We'll ultimately have to do more work to see why that is. And I'll get to some of those stories in a bit. And so once the client gets that, how long does it take you to, to get paid? And so you're going to put a term on that. And so let's just say you've got 30-day terms. Sometimes we'll note that the, the actual invoice didn't say 30 days. It said 45 days. And so that's another opportunity to have a mismatch on it. And so you've cost yourself 15 days, even if the client's going to pay on time. And then you move to the very latter part of the process, and I'm skipping around here a little bit, but the latter part of the process is where the customer has received a bill and they may, may or may not have a dispute. Was And so the dispute uh, may have arisen because you had an inaccuracy on the bill. And so all of those things are, are things that the world that you think exists, which is I bill the customer pretty much immediately. Uh, I have the correct term on the invoice and my invoice is accurate, may be very well disputed by data. And so what we do with that data is we say, okay, if you looked at this issue and fixed it, you could save this much money, much cash by doing it. And so again, this is a, a fairly sophisticated uh, way to go about assessing what the issue is because it gives you an exact thing to look at it. So in the, in the one case that I described, which was that the, the bill was out, why is that? Again, this one client I had, they used Salesforce to write up the order. They used Oracle to as the billing system. And, and it turned out that the lines, line descriptions of the services they were providing in Salesforce didn't match what was actually billed in Oracle. So it took manual intervention. There were probably five or six or eight other core root causes of that bill being delayed. And so you have to address each one of those in order to improve that sort of a process. The other thing is just visibility. 
do you know that it's being delayed 20 days? Is that on somebody's scorecard to make sure that you bill in five days, for instance? And so holding people accountable could be another reason. Maybe the company, companies generally look at profit and how to improve profit. Oftentimes working capital is not a focus of these companies. And so perhaps just more focus on getting the bill out sooner could actually improve that process. Then you go to maybe that the term on the invoice didn't match. And so again, that's a process, a procedure, maybe it's a technology bust or something like that that's occurring. And then finally to the collection phase where you've got maybe a, a an error on the invoice. And so that is something, all these things are internal to a company. The, none of those things that I just mentioned relate to the customer that's receiving the goods. It's all an own goal type of thing. It's what we like to call it is leakage. And so what our goal is in these in these projects is to stop the leakage, stop cash leakage. All that stuff is leakage. And so you're, you're, the world that you thought existed isn't being executed correctly. And so the world that actually exists is costing you cash. And so all of those things, even in a stress situation, you can come and, and fix those things. And so you can get your bill out earlier. You can make sure that the terms that you actually negotiated are the terms that are on the invoice. And then finally, you can make sure that the invoice is accurate. All of those things can be fixed. We, you don't, but in, unless you know, the, you know what to look for and then look as you look for it, figure out what the root cause, you're not going to be able to fix it. So that's an example of, of what we see oftentimes on, on receivables. So, John, you're you're stepping into a situation where the company wants to, and, and again, we're we're still focused on collecting faster. If I'm hearing you right, the solutions that are being provided are never going to be a one size fits all, and it sounds like it's going to be a combination of teaching people to work differently and technology. Am I right about that? Well, it's it's, it's process, it's policy it's technology and it's people. And so th those things are the solutions and it's never a one size fits all, but I will tell you that we find the same problems in almost every client we go into. You know, every, no client is perfect. We work with some of the most sophisticated, really outstanding executors of, of working capital processes. They still have leakage. And so, but you, you really need to know where to look for them. And then, as you point out, there, there are certain, it's people, process, technology, and policy that allows you to, that you need to change in order to, to get the results that, uh, that you're talking about. And sometimes it's the collections process, right? One client, they supplied businesses, office type supplies. And so they would, you know, as you can imagine, you know, with a nationwide business, then you've got a lot of different orders from a lot of different sites. And so every time an order went out, they did a good job getting a bill out. But what the clients would request, what their customers requested was a summary bill. And so that summary bill would, was issued at usually once a month, and you would try to collect all the other bills and, and put it on that bill. Well, some of those other bills have been paid and so forth. And so you can imagine at the end of the month, if you have 100 bills going out, there's a lot of confusion at the end of the month when the collections team would try to call to say, hey, you haven't paid us for this. Well, this client, they had a collections team that was very hardworking, but they would spend, one, one of the collectors would spend four hours pulling data on these invoices to see whether they'd been paid or not and so forth from 
three different systems and putting it into you know one summary so that they could make a call to the to the particular person they needed to to, to ask about payment and then so they spent four hours and then in ten minutes on the phone with this customer the customer would say well this isn't an issue at all we paid this before and the, the data hadn't caught up or it wasn't correct and so you'd have to go back to the drawing board and pull another two hours worth of stuff and so simply automating that with a robot you know a bot would have allowed that process to have taken place instead of in four hours and it would have taken 10 minutes and then they could have spent 10 minutes on the phone and if there was something wrong they could have gone back so some of this is automation some of it is, so you mentioned the process it's not a one-size-fits-all the aspects of the order to cash process are the same but every business is slightly different and every business is going to have a little different problem and because the cause of the unique setups with with these companies so have you turned your focus on deloitte transactions business analytics llp and, and done a leakage analysis there <laughs> it might point too many fingers back at me who knows you know uh, <laughs> getting bills out and so forth but we do have i mean we we've got a very sophisticated as you might imagine uh, process to make sure guys like me actually do get invoices out timely and accurately. And so, you know, we, we recognize the value of these things. And of course our terms just for anybody out there are payment immediately upon receipts. Uh, and we also always get significant retainers and so forth. And so uh, don't try to negotiate us with us. Yeah, We, we may need you to come take a look at Reed Smith's process some, some <laughs> okay, days. Happy well. to do it. There you go. All right. Let's, so we've talked about uh, collecting faster. Let's talk about pay slower for a minute. Is it as simple as just delaying payment or is there more complicated? Uh, uh, well, I will say that that has been on uh, some of our recommendations in the past. But uh, but yet, yeah, and the neat, kind of neat thing, Keith, if you're a working capital geek like I am, is that everything I say about receivables, pretty much the opposite is uh, is true of the payables. And so every strategy we employ on the receivable side, we're looking for the opposite on the payables. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, sometimes you, that that is, and certainly in distress situations, paying late and managing those, and, and making sure that you can abide by your promises, so as not to lose credibility. Those are those are key. But when you're looking at the process, the procure to pay process, it's again the world as you think exists, and versus the world as it actually exists. So there's a vendor master with this, and so you're you're going to look at the vendors. And you're going to find all sorts of things. I haven't been in a company yet that doesn't have fewer than 80 different terms they use for, for, for they get from vendors. And so yeah, that may be more understandable than, than, the, than the receivables. But getting looking at the terms to see whether you know there are some terms that you can extend. Maybe you've uh, got one vendor in several different locations, and and so one has 60 days, the other has 30 days for you to pay, and. And so if one will accept 60, then maybe the others will accept 60. You always find also stuff, Keith, that every CFO we walk into, we say, you're going to be paying people early before, in other words, before it's due. And almost every CFO says, no, we don't. We've got a system that prevents that from happening and just never happens. And so, but inevitably we, we find it. And so some of the reasons that we find for that are a bill may be due on the following Tuesday. Here we are on Thursday. And we have a payment run twice a week. And, and so on Thursday, they say, well, if we didn't pay today, then our next payment run isn't until you know, the following Tuesday. And so they would be, they wouldn't get there for a day or two. And so we'd have it late and said, okay, <laughs> so be it. 
you, you pay them when the next payment run is done. So people trying to do the right thing, they just don't think cash. And, and you need to instill that cash mindset in people. So that's, that's one example. Uh, we also have sometimes when does the clock start on the payment? And so some, some people will start it on the date that's on the invoice. Others will start it on the date they receive the goods. And so, you know, why you know, industry practice in a lot of industries is the later of those two. And so just by changing that policy, you could save four or five days. And again, this is leakage. This is stuff that generally you don't have to ever talk to the, to the vendor. This is just stuff you're doing internally that's perfectly fine and perfectly within acceptable norms when you're dealing with vendors. So my vendor says, John, I'll give you a 2% discount if you pay in 10 days or it's full price if you pay within 30. How do you evaluate whether or not that's a good deal? Yeah, so if you're in a distress situation, a lot of times you're just evaluating on, do I have, do I need the cash? And so it's purely a cash-driven basis. And so you may well avoid the discount to get the extension of the terms. And so, in other words, if you if you pay immediate 2% discount versus 30 days, then you would pick the 30 days if you're short cash and you need the cash. But otherwise, if you're not a distressed company, then you're looking at you know, cost of capital typically. And, and there's an active dispute as to what's the appropriate number to use to, to determine whether to take a discount or not. We like to use the weighted average cost of capital because the alternative is you may have to raise capital, raise cash out there that raise capital in the form of cash that you're foregoing. And so we think that's a, that's a pretty good measure is the weighted average cost of capital. And Keith, you bring up another client story that I've got here, which is we went into one client and they said, hey, don't even look at what percentage of the discounts that we've negotiated that we take because we know we get 98% of those and we don't think we can get much better than that. And so we said, well, it's in our machine to look at anyway. So you know, we'll just take a look anyway. And so when we looked at it, they were actually taking 85% of those uh, discounts. And so that, that was costing them $6 million of EBITDA. That was a pretty big company, $6 million of EBITDA a year by missing out on that 13 percentage points of discounts that they wanted to take that they weren't taking. And so that that was a huge savings. And what had happened was uh, they didn't have visibility into it because they weren't tracking the metric. And so again, sustainability, you look at changing the processes, you also look at increasing the visibility amongst the management team. In my old business, we used to say, the unit does well what the commander inspects. And so this is a situation in which the commander should have inspected that and wasn't. And so they were losing $6 million EBITDA per year. I love how you call being a Green Beret your other business, John. <laughs> that was a different time, but some of the stuff you can still use, lo and behold. Yeah, absolutely applicable. No question. No question. Well, listen, John, thank you very much for your time today. This has been an awesome episode. And we hope everyone will join us again on distressed situations. Thank you, John. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure being with you and see you soon. Distressed Situations is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's restructuring and insolvency practice, please email distressedsituations at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, 
and on our social media accounts at Reed Smith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.